Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Well, I am really excited to start a whole series of podcasts on my new book that is coming out on the 8th of August and it is How to Help Your Children with Their Mental Health. So it's called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. You're familiar with my book, How to Clean Up Your Mental Mess. Now you can help your child clean up their mental mess. And we know this couldn't come soon enough. As we know, mental health in children has just got progressively worse and worse and worse over the years. In fact, it's just been getting progressively worse for the last 40 years. And there's a multitude of reasons for that. But one of the main reasons is that over the last 30 to 40 years, there's been a massive focus on what we call neuroreductionism. In other words, symptoms and diagnosing and labeling and medicating a person's mind challenges versus diving deep into why a person is showing up like they are. And so as we saw this shift away from more of a human mind story narrative holistic approach to a more medical, medicalizing of misery approach, so we have seen an increase in the problems in mental health. And our children have grown up in this environment where they are pretty much having their childhood pathologized and misery medicalized and any kind of emotion that isn't happy is seen as something bad. So if you're sad or depressed or anxious, there's something wrong with you. That's the message that we're giving our children. This is not increasing their psychological immunity. This is not increasing their ability to be human and experience the very normal, unfortunately normal, vagaries and challenges of life, which we'd love it just to be all wonderful and perfect, but it's not. So if we are giving our children the message that when they go through life and life is tough and they feel sad or they feel anxious or they feel worried or they feel depressed or whatever, and we're telling them, oh, when you feel that, those are symptoms of a brain disease, there's something wrong with you, instead of saying, hey... What you're experiencing is normal. It's okay to be a mess. It's a response to what's going on in your life. So let's sit down together and let's learn how to manage this mental mess together. This is one of the reasons that I have written this book. I worked with kids for years in my practice, worked for 25 years clinically. And I have, as you know, been doing this for many years, research for many years in this field. I have four of my own children. They're big now. But I taught them this from as young as two and three. My youngest patients were two and three years of age. So you can teach a child of two and three and younger how to manage their mental mess. And that's what this book is all about. This book is to help you as a parent, you as a grandparent, you as an uncle, aunt, sister, teacher, caregiver, therapist, physician, how to manage mental health without labeling, diagnosing, and medicating. I cover a lot of topics in this book. And there's so many different areas. And like, for example, the first section, I teach you how to help your child understand the mind-brain-body connection. These really simple ways you can do it. I give you simple wording for how to help you, how to explain this to children. I to explain what thoughts are, how, how you can explain to a child what a thought is, what warning signals are. And you might have noticed a super cute little brainy over here. I have a toy called Brainy. This character, Brainy, I created 25 years ago with a Disney artist, and then I have a brilliant artist 
who actually has another brilliant artist who took the older drawings and updated those and created a whole lot of new ones. And we've turned this also into a toy. So this book is filled with Brainy in different situations. So Brainy helps you and your child on their mental health journey. So for that, for the child who's not that linguistic yet, the very young child who doesn't have the words, they can point to the picture. So throughout the book, when I explain everything, the mind-brain-body connection, thoughts, signals, and all these things, the brainy is throughout this book. There are images of brainy. And so we have the little brainy toy as well. So when you're helping your child with mental health, you've got the book to help you, to help them with lots of ideas. And we're going to be doing a whole series of podcasts and things on this. And also, you've got the little toy that the child can relate to. So it becomes a point of contact. So if your child has had a bad day at school, something's going on in their life, and they don't have the words to verbalize it, you can, Brainy is your point of contact. They can pick up Brainy, and you know when they pick up Brainy that they want to talk to you. It's a way of them being able to use Brainy to try and explain how they're feeling or enact how they're feeling. So there's a multitude of ways that you can use Brainy. Besides the fact that it's super cute, adults love it too, and so do my dogs. I have to keep this Brainy away from my dogs. Simba and Nala, they absolutely love Brainy. Okay, so I do the whole five steps in here. I tell you, I teach you exactly how to do the five steps. Let me set Brainy up so that you can see Brainy. There you go. So I go through exactly how what how to teach the five steps to the of the neurocycle to children, how to use it, filled with examples. And I'm going to be giving you lots of those ideas in this podcast as well, so you understand how to use the book. And I also then deal with trauma. I give a trauma, a diff, explain trauma, how to recognize it in children, how to do a trauma neurocycle, identity issues. An identity issue, neurocycle, social interactions, labels, sleep issues. So there's just so much in here. I could have written a book that was four times as long, but this is like part one and it's for two to 10 year olds. And we also have a coloring book. So this coloring book is Brainy and Friends. So it's color with Brainy and Friends and it covers situations. So for example, there'll be, this is angry. So you've got Brainy there. So they can color it in and they can also use this to basically express how they're feeling. They could draw on this blank page over here. They could draw more pictures. And it covers all kinds of different situations. Aggressive actions, crying, withdrawing. And these little little guidelines, nervous about certain sounds, brainy feeling nervous, anxious or upset. So these multitude of different situations, even like, for example, brainy's parent telling brainy, you're more than a grade. If they came in with a bad grade, maybe brainy being bullied, you know, so if a child's being bullied, they can go and, you know, they color this in or point to this picture. So it becomes a point of contact. You can draw on this side, as I said. So I'm trying to help you have a whole kit with brainy and the book and and the actual book and the little coloring book to help you help your child manage their mental mess. One of the things that's been consistent in my career as a therapist and also in now reaching millions through my platform and books and conferences and podcasting and so on is people often say, I wish I had known how to manage my own issues when I was a child. I didn't know how to deal with them. I suppressed them. If we don't get them out, if we don't have a way to process them, these things get volcanic inside of us as children and then play out into our life as adolescents and adults. Same thing as adults. I mean, the same process applies. There's a very well-established research on the fact that adverse childhood experiences will impact how you function as an adult. And the story that I want to share with you or the, the, the hope that I want to share with you is, yes, every single thing you go through as a child will impact how you function, it goes into your brain, mind and body, influences how you show up. 
and we develop coping skills as children with different circumstances. And this does impact us. And if we don't manage those, it does increase our vulnerability to illnesses and diseases and mental health challenges as an adult, adolescent, adult, and so on. But that doesn't have to be your future. If we can teach our children from young how to understand that it's okay to be a mess and here's how I can manage my mess and mom and dad also feel messy and the teacher also battles and and if we honest and model the process of how we are managing our mess through using the neurocycle where it starts with us, you then giving them permission to see, oh, okay, I don't have to be perfect all the time. I can also have a mess, but I can't stay a mess. There's a way to get through this mess because the mess makes me feel bad. And that's the whole motivation that I wanted to give you this. We know that there's a shortage of therapists. There's all over the New York Times and all over the place over the last, we, we see this, you know, the last recent news has shown us that there's a shortage of therapists. And unfortunately, the messaging has come through that, gosh, there's something, there's, there's, as a, for a parent, if my child's showing, showing certain symptoms like depression or anxiety or social withdrawal or, or different behaviors or not sleeping, we've almost been led to believe that the only way you can help your child is by going to a professional. Now, I'm not saying don't go to the professional. Having a therapist and counseling support is incredibly important. But you've also got to learn to realize and help your child realize that you can be empowered to manage your own mind. You can't go to that therapist 24-7 and now there's a shortage of therapists and it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. So we therefore need to have another plan. We also need to remove this fear from parents thinking that they can't help their child, that only a therapist can. There is so much you can do as a parent, uncle, aunt, grandparent, sister, a teacher, that you can do to help a child manage their mind in the moment where the therapist then plays a support role. So you're not reliant on the therapist or waiting. What do you do when you're waiting? What do you do if it takes years? What if you can't afford the therapist? Let's go back to basics. Let's understand how to help a child process life and how to manage that process. And that's what I'm going to help you in this series of podcasts. And that's why I have written this book. So I encourage you, it's ready for pre-order at the moment. So you can go to my website, Mentally, let me make sure I give you the right website, mentallyresilientkids.com. We'll put this in the, this in this link in the show notes and pre-order because the pre-order bonus is they're fantastic. So first of all, you can get Brainy, the coloring book and the book. You can get there's a package and you get a big discount on that. There's also a there's other bonuses, but one of the ones that I'm really excited about is a private club where you can then meet, directly work with me on helping you give your ideas, answer your questions, and help you directly with your children. So there's amazing pre-orders. Even if you don't get it for just the pre-orders, get the book because this is something that's going to help you help your children. Have you ever battled to shut your mind off at night when you want to sleep and then you kind of put your head on the pillow and your mind just goes crazy and all these thoughts are pumping up through your mind and your brain? I know that's happened to me and I have found that I have a new secret. And let me tell you what the secret is. In addition to mind management, I have been trying out Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers. It's great for sleep and for promoting calmness and relaxation. What I found out is that the brains behind Magnesium Breakthrough have taken it to the next level with a product specifically designed for sleep. It's called Sleep Breakthrough. And it's been a total game changer for me. 
Sleep Breaks use a delicious pre-bed drink that combines the power of magnesium with other natural ingredients like valerian root to help us fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up feeling refreshed. Since I started using Sleep Breakthrough, I've been waking up feeling well-rested, energized, and ready to tackle the day ahead. I highly recommend giving Sleep Breakthrough a try. Visit sleepbreakthrough.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and order now. In addition to the discount you get by using the promo code DrLeaf10, there are always amazing gifts with the purchase. That's also why I love shopping at BioOptimizers. So go now to sleepbreakthrough.com forward slash DrLeaf to get your sleep breakthrough and find out this month's gift with the purchase. The link and details will be in the show notes. So today what I specifically want to talk about is one of the concepts that I cover a lot in the book and that is the concept of empathy and how important it is to have empathy. Now we talk about empathy a lot and we, we all know what empathy is, the ability to understand someone else's feelings, the ability to tune into someone else's emotions and what they're going through. And we can never fully understand someone else's experience because every experience, as we know, is unique to ourselves. But we are designed for deep, meaningful connection and communication. And the attempt to tune into others is so helpful for other people when they're going through something because they feel heard, they feel validated, they f- it builds self-esteem, it builds identity, it creates a very healthy feedback loop between that person's view of themselves and their connection to others and it feeds back positively into the relationship and someone who's been given a lot of empathy will give empathy and someone who sees empathy being demonstrated will demonstrate empathy. And empathy is a critical way for us to create that communication and that link. So in a world where isolation has become a huge problem, just recently, the Surgeon General released a report on isolation. I've actually interviewed him about this. You can see my previous podcasts. And basically that shows that isolation is a massive problem. And we know that there's been massive changes in our lifestyle since COVID and before COVID with the introduction of tech, you know, the advances in technology, social media and, and artificial intelligence and all these things I'm going to be talking about in detail in separate podcasts. But just in essence, let's talk about how this relates to empathy. When we are isolated, we can our ability, natural ability to empathize with others can be a little suppressed. So empathy is part of our wired for love nature, but it's something that does need to be developed. And certain life, certain things that we focus on too much, like being isolated, one in two people are isolated, that leads to all kinds of physical and mental issues and so on. But it can affect ability, our empathy because empathy is connection with, with people. So it doesn't mean that technology stops empathy because you can be very empathic through a text conversation, through a Zoom conversation. It's just how you are using, maybe just spending too much time scrolling through Instagram or something where you're focusing on you, how you feel, and comparing yourself to others, that will reduce empathy to yourself and empathy towards others and lead to things like frustration and jealousy and so on. But we'll handle that in more depth in other podcasts as well that's specifically related to social media and, and AI and that kind of thing. So as I said, empathy is really important for social cognition, for social interaction, and it creates a very healthy feedback loop that builds deep meaningful connection. I mean, this is something that we do know. We have the ability to mirror people we interact with. We are all the time. I mean, when you're in a conversation with someone and they're really looking at you and they're really connecting with you and they're really leaning in and, and they are 
all in in the conversation. You can really feel that and you feel encouraged and you feel a sense of peace and a sense of joy and it changes your brain and changes your neurophysiology and, and it changes how your heart is beating and everything and you feel like more calm and, and open and wise and you have this really great back and forth. But if someone's sort of looking at you, but they kind of shut off or they semi-looking at you or they kind of looking away a little bit or their body language is withdrawn or, you know, because nonverbal communication is 50% of communication. We don't feel that same level of empathy where they keep looking at their cell phone or they're looking down at their cell phone or you can see their minds in another place or they interrupt you or you can't finish a sentence and they are really jumping on one of the words and making it all about themselves. That's a lack of empathy and that affects the communication. It affects how you feel about yourself and it also is not healthy for the person who's doing that. And you know what? We've all been guilty of doing that to other people. We haven't really tuned in and haven't listened. So it's not just a one-way street. We need to check this in ourselves all the time. So the quickest way to teach empathy to a child and to help to unmask and grow the natural empathy inside of your child is for you to kind of do an empathy check on yourself and see how you're tuning in to yourself and giving yourself empathy and really tuning into how you are feeling and taking the time to work through your own emotions and behaviors and and perceptions and bodily sensations and how you're showing up. And that's where cleaning up the mental mess is really important. As you work through dealing with cleaning up the mental mess, you are giving yourself empathy. And as you practice that, you then naturally will want to give it to others. So modeling the empathy towards yourself and then modeling that empathy towards others. So when your child comes home from school or your child comes out of their room and they're really upset because they've just had a maybe a little text argument with a bunch of friends on social media or they just happened to be scrolling through social media and felt bad about themselves or they had an argument with a sibling or they watched something disturbing and they come out and their room and they come over to you and they want to connect with you in some way but you're busy and you don't tune in and you don't fully look at them and don't fully stare and validate them. And I'm not blaming you because I've done this too. Life is busy and we, you know, we, we sometimes forget to tune in. And so that's a matter of, of taking a few seconds to say, uh, to look at them in the eye, be all in. doesn't take hours. It just takes a few seconds. It's the way you conduct yourself in that moment where you turn around, look, connect, maybe reach out, maybe hug. And just say, I see you're upset. Do you want to talk? And maybe you are busy. Maybe you're in a meeting. Maybe you can't, you know, they've just kind of walked into a Zoom meeting. Or maybe you have to finish something urgently. You can assess the level of urgency. If your child, if it's really urgent, then as far as possible, stop what you're doing and help your child. But otherwise, you may just, you know, tune in, look at them, connect with them, validate them by that real tuning in, showing them empathy. I hear you. I see you. Give me 10 minutes. Here, just play with Brainy, color in a picture, draw a picture for me about how you're feeling or show me, you know, just get your toys out and start playing. And I promise you, we will, we're going to talk about this in a moment. You know, that whole process, I've stretched that time and it's only taken me about two minutes to explain this. You can do that in, in under a minute. And that will, is showing empathy and connecting with your child. And that also creating an empathic boundary setting situation so it's creating a space where you recognize and honor and validate but at the same time they need to recognize you need to finish what you need to do and then you can take the time to tune in it's really about quality and not quantity so i'm not asking you to spend hours doing this 
um, giving you little tips to make it sort of part of your lifestyle, how you manage yourself. And that's why I'm so hot on, I talk about it in the book, that this begins with us working on ourselves. And today we're specifically talking about empathy. And there's so many different aspects to our working on ourselves and helping our children process through. But it really does begin with empathy, which is why I wanted to start here. So let's just quickly, you know, look back at, at how we could explain this to our children and define empathy. So what is empathy and how do we explain this concept to our children? So first of all, I've already said that it's through demonstration of you practicing it on yourself. And then when you, you know, you're doing it on yourself, it's going to naturally outflow to your child and then practicing it on your child in the ways that I've just described. But then essentially empathy, what is it? It is the ability to sense the emotions and behaviors and perceptions of others. So it's kind of being able to tune into a person, another person, your, in this case your child's warning signals. You know, what are the emotions? How are they presenting themselves? You know, what is their perspective? They come running in and they're crying and their hands are flapping and they're worked up and they're in the thought loop and they're saying all these things and talking jumbled or they creep out you know, maybe was like all sad and depressed and, you know, and like dragging a toy along behind them. I'm thinking of Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, you know, I'm just sort of thinking of analogies. Whatever it is, they're presenting something and that's an immediate empathy then is that immediate, you know, tuning in and recognition of that. By the same token, it's not just you tuning into them. You may be feeling sad. You may be feeling really tired and worked up. Empathy is important for your child to also show you empathy and if you've shown them, they see, oh, mommy, I see you sad, or daddy, I see you sad, or even if they just don't say the words, they just come up and give you a hug or sit next to you and just, you know, hold your hand and just be there with you and just, can I get you anything or just come and, you know, touch you. That's great. You want to create and encourage that kind of environment, not huge stuff, but it shows that you've tuned in to that person's signals that they're generating. And but research shows that when we do this tuning in empathy thing, we change our way that we function neurophysiology. We increase our ability to connect into the deep non-conscious part of us where our wisdom is and where the issues are that our wisdom is trying to show that wisdom is the ability to recognize issues and recognize good stuff and, and work on building the good stuff and, and finding the stuff that's blocking your ability to function or that's upsetting you in some way or affecting your day-to-day -day living and so on, and working on those. So it's being able to tune in. So empathy can be seen as a form of communication between people where with emotions and nonverbal communication instead of language. So yes, empathy does translate into language the way that you do talk to someone and the way that they do talk to you, but it's also initially being able to tune in to the emotions, the behaviors, bodily sensations and the perspectives. And that's the example I gave. Someone walks in, their shoulders are dropped, their face is looking down, they're slow, they just, you know, like being able to tune into that. You can see the body, you can see the emotion is sadness, you can see the perspective is the outlook is negative. You can see all four of those signals and you can pretty much guess what they are, but there's a more depth behind it. So by recognizing that and saying, hey, I see you feel sad, you can bring them into a space and you can start helping them. So we never, as I mentioned already, we're never going to fully understand what someone else is, is going through. And that's why their empathy starts and opens the door to them sharing with you and communicating with you. So one of the big things that I say in terms of helping your children is to find a space in your home. Now, there's various ways that you can do this. 
And one of the ways is you can allocate, if you've got a big enough space at home, is allocate an area in your house, like maybe the kitchen area. Thinking of my sister-in-law's house where she has, in her kitchen, she has a sort of big open area and she's painted one section of her kitchen with blackboard paint. And so it becomes a place where you know, there's chalk, there's always chalk there and you can write up whatever it's reminders for the day or whatever. But that, be, that something like that could become what we call your neurocycle or your brainy area or your let's work on our issues area or some word that you can find that works mind management or whatever. Kids love brain words, you know, so it's something like brainy area. And that's the safe space. You could put a comfortable little bean bag there or a beautiful little chair and a, a plant. Get the kids in your house, in your home, in your life to help you create a beautiful space that you can keep there that looks beautiful, but it's the space where they can sit somewhere. You know, it's something that they can, maybe two people, two little bean bags or a little bench and some flowers and have a little box of toys and have a little box of, you know, little those art pads where you can, big pieces of blank paper where you can draw on, have the chalks you can draw on the whiteboard, have coloring pens so you can color in the book, have your brainy coloring book, have this book there, have brainy, maybe one or two brainies. This is the first iteration of brainy, but we'll be bringing out more versions of brainy in different outfits and different facial expressions and so on. But you can start with this, get some other favorite toys and kind of keep it in that space. And that becomes the neurocycle, brainy, safe space in your home where you go, anyone, adult and children, whoever is in a bad place, who's feeling like Eeyore, who's feeling sad and down, who's battled with the day, going to that space and sitting in that space. And that is the signal to someone in the family, a sibling, a parent, and granny, an uncle, and aunt, to sit down with them and to say, I'm here for you. And look at them, tune in, show them empathy. Maybe not even the language yet, just sit down next to them, look at them. Let your whole mind, brain and body pour love into them and create that safe space where they can, I'm safe, I can unwind, there's no judgment and I can start to talk. And that's the sort of initial phase of connecting with your child, connecting with each other. Let's say that it's you that needs that. Let's say it's your husband and you that need that, or your partner and you that need that, where you can sit down and share. So it's not just for the kids. Maybe mom and dad. Maybe dad and dad, mom and mom. Whatever the relationship is, can sit down in that space and communicate. And let the children see you doing that. You know, and, and that models for them that even adults battle, but life is this ongoing space of where we are, things are happening. You know, we go to a gym to do exercise or we maybe have a little gym area in our house or we go outside to play basketball or throw the ball. We go to the dining room table to eat. We go to the kitchen to cook. We go to the to the restroom to and, and the bathroom to shower and, and, and do our, our, clean our teeth and all that stuff. There's set places where we do things and that's accepted. So I'm saying add another layer. Create a safe space for the mental work. Your mind drives ev drives everything. So having a place in your home for that mental work is number one. It is so important. So it's a really great start to getting into using all the systems in this book. And it's an ongoing lifestyle. And you create that. There's been studies done. Okay, the reason I'm sharing this with you is there's been studies done, and it started in Zimbabwe, which is the country where I was born. And there was a su very successful mental health approach that, wasn't intentionally a mental health approach. It was just a granny sitting on a bench and everyone in the tribe came and spoke to granny whenever they had an issue. It was a safe space where no one was trying to fix anyone. She didn't try and fix anyone. She just listened and prompted and asked a few questions and people felt safe. 
And it was so successful that Harvard and King's University did a combined research study showing that this is one of the most effective and inexpensive ways of managing mental health. So, you know, people often ask, what do I do when I'm waiting for a therapist? Here's an example. Get the space in your home. Sit, go create this little safe bench area, neurocycle brainy area where you can then start learning how to process the events of life where there's no judgment. No matter what is said there, it's safe. And that is absolutely critical. And this is all related to empathy. Empathy creates a sense of safety. It also is a place where we can encourage people to accept differences. There's different people out there. There isn't just one way of thinking. There isn't just one philosophy, one spiritual approach. There are different people. We are so beautifully diverse. And if someone's different to you, we need to encourage our children to accept difference, to embrace difference, to not be challenged and threatened by difference. And even if you don't agree with that difference, is to still operate in empathy and love where we accept that and allow our children to talk about that difference and experience that difference and still love despite not understanding that difference. So here's some examples now that I want to give you. Like let's say that you're now in in this in this beautiful little space and you know, people ask me what happens if I don't have enough room in my house, if you're really cramped. Well you may not be able to allocate a space but maybe you have a you know little chairs dining room table or you have a little area in your lounge where you sitting area where you have a nice a couch and a beautiful chair or something so your brainy and your notepads and your brainy book and your coloring book and your toys and all that can be in a little basket a beautiful basket that you go and shop for together and you pack all your things in there and that can be carried around so it can be you you can put a blanket over that and it can sit next to the couch so it looks pretty but that is the safe space so you you know you grab that and when you grab that go sit wherever in the house where it's convenient at that moment, but the, you've you've now created this thing, this basket filled with these these items that will help you get into that space to manage your mind. So it becomes deliberate. It becomes intentional. You're cultivating in an intentional way the effort to work with your mind, and your mind drives everything. Your mind is your aliveness. Your think, feel, choose how you experience life. Messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy life. That's what you hear me say often. So here's a way of managing that. Okay, so here's some examples of cultivating empathy in our little space, whether it's a little basket or whether it's the actual area you've managed to create in your home. And it changes over time. And there's tons of little things that I'm going to be telling you about that are in the book. I give you so many ideas for this special space where you do your neurocycling and manage your mind in the book. Okay, so here's some examples. So let's say now that you are going to your sister's house, for example, and maybe they have a friend's house and they have a cat. And your child's scared of this cat because maybe the cat, you know, hid under the bed. I remember when I was a a little girl, very young, we had this cat that liked going under the bed. And I lay next to the bed and my hair kind of dragged down and this cat, and I don't know, the cat was there. And the cat jumped up and pulled my hair and made a weird sound. And for quite a while, I was scared of cats. (laughs) And I had to sort of get through that, but I thought it was some kind of monster under my bed. Anyway, so you could say, let's say your child has something like that, that experience. You could use that as an example. And you could say something like, Are you maybe feeling scared of my friend's cat because of what happened to you? Maybe you didn't know that that happened, but you could say something. This is an example of cultivating empathy in our area. So you see your child, you go, he's weary to go to your sister's house because of the cat. So you say, let's go sit in the neurocycle corner. I see you feeling scared of my sister's cat. Cats can be scary. I can hold your hand while you're close to it. This sentence shows that you are validating their fear, that you've tuned in, that you've heard them, that you've recognized, that you're telling them to not not be scared, but letting them know that you see them, you see that they are scared, and you're there to help them through this process and work out why they're scared and a way to deal with it. 
beautiful empathy. Okay, another example. Maybe your child's like really mad about something and they're stamping their foot and throwing their toys around or just angry, like, you know, smoke coming out their nose sort of thing. And you can say to them, instead of saying, oh, why are you angry and getting mad at them and just making it worse, you could say, okay, let's go to the neurocycle corner or hand them brain or pick up the basket or go sit on the bench. You know, get deliberate and intentional to cultivate, cultivate this mind management. Empathy being the first kind of tuning in process. And say something like, I can see you mad. I can hear that you're angry at me. I can see you feeling sad, whatever it is. So it's you saying you can see, acknowledging. So you're not mad, soft voice, not irritated, not rushed, just acknowledging in that space, whatever it is, if it's picking up the basket, as I said. I can see you feeling annoyed, something like that. These are good examples of good phrases that you can use with your child you can, that shows clearly that you have read, try to read their feelings, okay? Even if they are angry at you, you showing them what their feeling is valid because maybe you did something unintentionally that made them angry and maybe their anger is valid, maybe it's not, but their feeling in that moment is valid. So it's instead of disciplining without explaining, which just builds up resentment and doesn't lead to deep depth of understanding, show empathy. I see you annoyed at me. I see you angry at me. Let's go sit over here on the bench. Let's do a neurocycle together. Let's get Brainy to help us. You've validated. You've shown them that they don't have to suppress stuff. Suppressing stuff is going to lead to bad coping mechanisms and all kinds of things will go wrong. Here's another example. I can see that you're feeling a lot of different feelings right now. Do you want some help working through them? So your child comes home and their hands all over the place and they're speaking chaotically and they're shouting and they're angry and they whatever. Just like a ball of energy that's going all over the place and so you can just go sit in the corner or take them over or pick up the basket, you know, on your cycle corner, show the empathy and look them in the eye, do this gentle kind of talking and say, and say something like, I see you feeling a lot of different emotions and I can see it in your body and I can see it in how you are showing up at your and how you're looking at things at the moment. Can I help you? Should we sit down over here? Do you want to, should we start unpacking these things so I can help you? You know, so that first it's the look, it's the connection, it's the non-verbal followed by the language. Sometimes you don't even need the language. It's just, come, let's go here, hug. Gentle, hardly even saying anything, or just gently guiding them over to the special space. Another example is rather than forcing your child to say sorry, especially when they're young and they don't understand why, you could say, because let's say, you know, try to teach them to feel empathy. So let's say one of your children got mad at the other while they were playing and hit them and the other started crying. So you could say something like, Look, James, Tina's really sad and and she's crying. She's very hurt that you hit her. She's sore and she's hurt. Her, she's sad. Her heart is hurt and she's physically sore. Can we try to see if we can make her feel better? Can we try and see and then we can try and work on why you felt that way? This is further shows an example of how empathy can lead to social connection. So you're seeing the impact of your action on someone else. You're seeing that they're sad, that they're hurt, so you taking the attention to the impact. And at the same time, you're saying, you know, there's obviously a reason why you did this. So it's not nice to do that. We can't hurt her. Let's help her. And then let's work out why you did that. I mean, that's incredibly healthy. And you can do that in the space. Okay, so empathy generally also comes when people connect thoughts, emotions, and actions together. So get that. So it's the behaviors, the emotions, the bodily sensations, and the perspective linked into the thought. So it's the signals linked to the thought. When you put those all together, 
you're going to then have the reasons why we need to generate empathy, give empathy, create empathy, use empathy, and cultivate empathy. Well, I'm so excited. I hope this has helped you. I'm so excited about this new book. It's years and years of research and clinical application and mothering and helping people over the years and condensed into this book. And I believe this is going to be a tool that's really going to help you. So go and pre-order your copy now. And I look forward to seeing you next time. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.